Mr. Pop. Dark. And the little birds are nasty, and I listen to them too. There's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're delving into the new investigators in the newly released campaign, The Dream Eaters. That's right. If you've got some dreams that you need somebody to eat, who, who are you going to call? These guys. That's who. I don't know if that's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it says it right on the box, Dane. These guys are the Dream Eaters. That's, I don't, I, I don't make the rules. That's just what it says. I guess there's adequate reason to believe that these guys may or may not eat your dreams. You're assuming these investigators are the Dream Eaters and that's not the, the enemies of this campaign? Have you heard that thing where, like, supposedly, like, every human eats, like, a thousand pounds of spiders while they're asleep during their <laughs> lifetime by them, like, crawling in your mouth or whatever? Like, it might not actually be a thousand pounds, but there's some, like, stupid statistic like that. It's kind of like that with dreams. Like, every time that you have a dream, it's actually because you're eating that dream. Or they are. Mm, that's an interesting theory, Dad, but, uh... <laughs> I don't want to make this podcast too educational, so let's let's just start talking about cards. <laughs> We're probably slightly better at talking about cards than we are at investigating uh, the, the nature of, of dreams. Only marginally. At least a little bit. Yeah. So, okay. So the first investigator in this box is Tommy Muldoon, the rookie cop. Yeah. So Tommy Muldoon has three willpower, three intellect, four combat, and two agility. He is a police and a warden. And he says, reaction, when an, an asset you control is defeated, gain X resources, where X is the total amount of damage and horror on that asset. Shuffle that asset into your deck. And his Elder Sign effect is plus two. You may move up to two damage and or horror from Tommy Muldoon to an asset you control or vice versa. And he has eight health and six sanity. And his deck building options are uh, so he can use guardian cards up to level five, neutral cards up to five, and survivor cards up to level two. So what, what do you guys think about Tommy Muldoon and the rookie cop? I think he's got a pretty interesting ability in that it's going to probably guide his deck building to lean heavily on things that like can soak stuff, and maybe he won't care as much about taking AOOs or taking damage from the treachery deck, uh, because he can just make money off of it. And I mean, not not just soaking stuff just to stay alive, but there's already a lot of good, um, there's a lot of good blue allies like Beat Cop and Guard Dog that, you know, give you pretty good benefits when you put stuff on them. Or Brother X. It's a bunch of them. Yeah, there you go. There's also, I think he might be kind of a, a lot less poor than most Guardians. Like, the first thing I thought of when he was revealed was that this is, like, the perfect guy to play agency backup, which we've been pretty excited about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's he wants to play allies that get defeated, which agency backup certainly is one, eventually. But it's also, you know, he can, like, play a beat cop, use it up, and then the money he gets from beat cop will, like, mostly pay for install for playing a uh, agency backup. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of survivor cards that he can work with uh work with his ability as well like teddy bear what is it what's it actually called cherish keepsake yeah leather coat that that kind of thing and even that new um that ghost ally which doesn't synergize as well with him as like a fighter but the what is it guiding spirit yeah costs like one to play and has like a three sanity soak that does get him up to four intellects so that'd be pretty good in solo and stuff but it, but then he has to keep paying xp to put it back in his deck when it dies doesn't that yeah doesn't it exile itself or does this trigger happen before the exile Th this would happen before the exile i think i think it's like a forced after incredible or something oh interesting absolutely incredible let's take a quick break to read his, his signature card so his signature card is uh, an asset cost two called becky 
It has a combat, an agility, and a wild icon. It's an item, a weapon, and a firearm. It has uses two ammo, and it says each resource gained from Tommy Muldoon's reaction ability may instead be placed on Becky as ammo. Action, spend one ammo, fight, you get plus two combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. And it takes up two hand slots. So it's basically a two-handed gun that gives you plus two combat and plus one damage. And as long as you keep as long as you keep having assets you control defeated, you can kind of keep refilling its ammo pretty well. Um, and then his weakness is called Rookie Mistake. It's a blunder and a flaw. It says, Revelation, discard each asset you control with damage or horror on it. If no assets are discarded by its effect, shuffle Rookie Mistake back in your deck. Huh. Ooh. I mean, I think you definitely forgot to mention that. This is Becky. Custom Marlin Model 1894. Oh, very, very good year. It's a very special rifle for Tommy. Big distinction between 1893 and 1895. Yeah, there you go. Classy antique. But anyway, I, I think like... Normally, like, a lot of investigators have signature assets that you kind of don't really care about that much, but I think this is actually pretty good. Like, being two-handed is sort of bad, usually, but the fact that you can, if you're playing a lot of assets that get defeated, you can kind of just keep putting ammo on it forever, and it only costs two to play, like, that's actually pretty good. Two to play is actually, like, ridiculous. Like, Yeah, that's that's kind of great. This is a great benefit. Yeah. Like, like let, let's keep Colt Vest Pocket in our minds here for a second. <laughs> this is This is just, like ridiculously good i think like the value anyways because even if you're not even if you're not like guaranteed to be able to keep ammo on it just from having allies and stuff get defeated you can also play like custom ammunition or something like there's other ways to refill it too yeah and i mean i think the only downside being that it's two-handed but really that's not that terrible of a downside the biggest application i'm seeing like tommy seems like a really good solo investigator like kind of maybe I don't really know Solo too too well, but I think maybe one of the better Guardian Soloers, just because of the Survivor subclass, helps him a ton. And like he gets Becky, but he can also do a lot of event-based seeking, so to speak, like through um, look what I found evidence. Yeah, exactly. Scene of the crime. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think um, yeah, I think like Becky's actually pretty good. And the two-handed thing, I agree, it's not that bad because. You're going to play multiple weapons, but if you have this out, you don't really need another one as long as you can keep ammo on it. And if this does run out of ammo and you don't have a way to put some back, you just play something over it, you know? Yeah, he can also natively run that cool combo, Active Desperation plus, uh, what is it, Reliable? That allows you to return something to your hand once it's discarded. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think his uh, even his level zero deck building can lean pretty heavily on maybe uh, getting buffs for his weapons like i think that's usually like more of a late game like once you have like a lightning gun or a shotgun or any of the bigger expensive guardian weapons but he could he could just like focus on stacking becky to do a bunch of damage and have lots of ammo and have a bunch of buffs on it that's a good point too i mean of course the risk is always that you might not find becky early like you can play prepare for the worst and stuff but you still might not be able to find it but you know maybe you play this and then you also play other guns and things that you can use in mostly the same way so yeah as for his weakness, it could be pretty bad depending on like if you're trying to balance out like spreading out your damage amongst assets or whatever to prevent them from dying at certain times. Yeah. But I think his playstyle is probably going to lean heavily more towards he has got one one or two things that are soaking, maybe one for damage, one for sanity or something. His treachery or his weakness will just make him discard one one or two things, which isn't which isn't terrible. Yeah, like when when possible you don't really want to spread because you want to have stuff get defeated fast so you can get money off of it anyway. You don't really want to spread out damage and horror unless you have to. Yeah. So that helps mitigate it. And also I think he's not gonna draw a whole lot of cards. So there's a lot of games where you just won't even see this. Like you might only get through half of your deck or something like that, which is bad, but 
you know, a, a kind of side benefit to that is that this not that bad weakness, you're also just like sometimes not going to see it. Well, so. even even every time he has assets killed, it gets shuffled back into his deck. So that's going to dilute it a little bit more even. Well, no, it's it's if if no assets are discarded by this effect, right? No, I meant um, his passive effect. Like every time like his leather coat's killed or, or guard dog is killed, it gets shuffled back into his deck. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. So that, yeah. that dilutes his deck a little bit in that he'll be less likely to draw his weakness, but... It's kind of a lot of shuffling, uh, which is a problem in other uh, LCG-based games, but uh, maybe not maybe not so much this one. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that you're going to be able to have something get defeated that often, like every couple turns, maybe, so it's not that bad. Speaking of a lot of shuffling, though, should we, should, should we move on to the next investigator? Yeah, let's uh, take a look at Mandy Thompson, the seeker Ooh. in this flux box. She is the researcher. Uh, her stat line is 3513. And she is the assistant and a scholar, or an assistant and a scholar. Her ability is, as a reaction, when an investigator at your location would search their deck or the encounter deck, they may either search three additional cards or resolve one additional target of the search. Limit once per round. And her elder sign is plus zero. Search the top three cards of your deck for a card and either draw or commit it to this test, if able. Shuffle your deck. And her elder sign could definitely trigger her passive ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she wanted so uh, that's pretty cool actually uh and she has six health uh eight sanity uh her deck building is uh she, her deck size is uh, at creation you can choose 30 40 or 50 hmm. and then she has a choice of her secondary class uh, at deck creation choose mystic rogue or survivor her deck building is then secret cards zero to five neutral zero to five and then up to 10 level 0 to 1 events and or skills of your chosen secondary class. And then additionally, she gets an extra copy of her uh, signature card, Occult Evidence, uh, for each 10 cards she increases her deck. So she has 40 cards in her deck, she gets 2 copies of it, 50 cards, she gets 3 copies instead of the 1. And should we, yeah, in this case, should we maybe just read her signature cards along with it? Because it's kind of all pretty closely tied together. Yeah, sure. So her signature card, Occult Evidence which again, she can have one to three copies of, depending on her deck size, is a level zero event with one wild icon on it. It's an insight, interesting, uh, and research. The ability is shuffle occult evidence in your deck. When you search your deck and occult evidence is among the search cards, reveal it, draw it, and discover one clue at your location, max one research ability per search. Uh, and then a weakness is shocking discovery. And the art, importantly, she has is holding a book, which, as we know, is extremely dangerous. It's a huge no-no. Uh, uh, there's something spooky happening coming out of that book. Don't, I don't know what it is, do it. But I'm sure it's probably bad. Anyway, the ability is it's a oh, it's a blunder and a mystery. The revelation effect is shuffle shocking discovery back into your deck if you cannot discard it and sh- and draw the top card of the encounter deck instead. And then it has a force effect when you search your deck and this card is among the search cards, discard it. Cancel that search and all of its effects. Shuffle the search deck. Draw the top card of the encounter deck. She's obviously very focused on searching. That's what her passive ability is, and that's what her special cards here do. So her weakness basically cancels one search and changes it into a draw any counter card instead, which isn't great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so overall for her deck building, I don't, I don't know where to start with her, because she... Seems like she can go a lot of different directions in terms of her secondary class. But I mean, before we even talk about deck building, I think we have to say she has pretty much the perfect stat line for a seeker. Like if you this could is, just pick, yeah, if you could pick any stat line for a seeker, this is pretty much what you'd want. Maybe you'd want to go up to like four will by, like, could you have zero combat or something? But I mean, <laughs> no, but but like five. I mean, you can five in three willpower and three agility is just 
absolutely fantastic. So that's great. A plus. She also like just as a just as a baseline, like I mean, Seekers just straight up have the best card pool by a lot, right? Like that's not even that's not even like controversial, is it? No, got it. Uh, I don't know. The other classes have been padded out a lot more in the recent expansions. Yeah, cycles, but yeah, I guess. But it's just like they have like you know the seeker portion of the color pie includes such you know occasionally useful things like drawing cards and getting clues, and also murdering stuff with like Melteroni and whatnot, and also <laughs> warding things with forewarned. Like there's just there's not really <laughs> anything that seekers can't do, right? This is true. And now they can search. They can selectively draw things now. I, uh, I I have to say though, can we? So remember with with Mister Rook, I've basically like told people that you always have to search nine cards. Oh, we remember. Can I issue a similar edict that if you listen to this podcast, you are not allowed to put more than thirty cards in your Mandy deck? Because <laughs> because for real, you should never ever put more than thirty cards in a deck for for Mandy. So you don't you don't think you could justify going up to forty? Absolutely not. Just because she's going to be searching so much and she has to draw two cards every time she searches, basically? No, absolutely not. Never. All right, Dan, let's let's unpack this. Why? Uh, because your first 30 cards are going to be better than your next 10 cards. Like, when you pick cards to put in your deck, you're going to start by picking the best cards that you can get. And you're going to, after picking the 30 best cards, then, like, you could dilute those cards by putting in 10 worse cards. Or you could just keep only the 30 best cards. And that would be way better. But it also it also dilutes your weakness down, right? Though, right, Dan? It is true. Yeah, this is yeah, true. Yeah, yeah that, that doesn't matter. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> but like, so here's a couple counter arguments. One, if she includes more deck size, so if she's at 40 cards, she gets two copies of her signature card. 50 cards, she gets three copies of it. But she only keeps one copy of Shocking Discovery in, regardless of your deck size. And there are cards that may or may not synergize in this upcoming set with her ability. In addition, Seekers kind of just, like you said earlier, have the best card pool. So they have like the the smallest chance of finding dead cards in their deck, period. Given like enough draw, like given having, um, you know, cryptic research and having Studious out, she might not have to draw through a lot. Like that might like take the place of drawing Studious already drawing you up to seven at the beginning of the game, and then having Cryptic Research draw through your deck even faster might, you know, help level that out. But I understand what you're saying. I mean, there's kind of an, definitely not unspoken, but there's a, there's a very well-known rule of, of when you're deck building in that less is more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that, like, playing a 40-card Seeker deck is less bad than playing a 40-card, say, like, Rogue deck for for the reasons you mentioned, but it's still not as good as playing a 30-card Seeker deck. Like, y- yeah, you could, sure, you could say, you know, my next 10 cards are going to be pretty good because I have the Seeker card pool, but I can only put two wards in my deck if I pick Mystic as my off-class. I can only put two Melteronis in my deck. I can only put two, you know, Glimpse the Unthinkables in my deck. If I have 40 cards, I'm just less likely to find those. Like, yeah, I can search for them and stuff, but uh, unless you don't have a whole lot of things that are literally just search your entire deck. I guess there's like no stone unturned, but most of the time when you're searching, it's going to be with like Mr. Rook or Eureka. Like you're, you're still, it's still going to be easier to find them and you just don't need it. Like the only real benefits of playing more cards is it dilutes your weaknesses, which you don't really need to do. Like just draw your weaknesses and it's fine. And it gives you more copies of occult evidence, which is not that impressive. Like occult evidence is fine, but it's basically like a very roundabout way of like, because you have to, once you draw it, you have to basically uh, spend an action to put it back in your deck so that you can get another free clue. So it's kind of like spend an action, get a free clue at some point later when you happen to find it while you're searching. 
right? Tesla's clue, sure. but still, yeah. Yeah, it's true, but 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 also, yeah. I mean, it, like it's it's not bad. It, it also works pretty well with Glimpse the Unthinkable because you can shuffle it back in for free that way. But yeah, I just, exactly. I don't think getting another copy of this is worth because it's really you're going up to forty one. Well, originally you have like thirty three or thirty four cards in your deck. If you add ten and an occult evidence, you're actually adding like eleven cards, right? Sure. So that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like kind of a bummer because you definitely don't want to draw the occult evidence. Yeah, understandable. Either way, it's it's a very unique way. Uh, to deck build for sure like we've never seen anything like this so far yeah well so so yeah so i guess if 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 you want to try playing this with 40 or 50 cards i mean go for it i think that 30 cards is going to be by far better but you know give it give it a try see how it goes i think 50 cards is definitely gonna be very hard to justify <laughs> yeah maybe i think maybe 40 could work especially if maybe there's like some combination of cards you want to have in your deck or something but I think 50, 50 is going to be tough, I think. I also, by the way, can you, I'm very excited to play Mandy. I don't know if you guys can tell. But uh, so <laughs> um, I, her, her reaction ability where you either get to look at an additional three cards or resolve an additional target, I think that it's almost always going to be better to resolve an additional target. Like if there's, yeah, a particular, if there's a particular card you're really looking for very, very intensely, then it might be worth it to look at a few more cards. But I think most of the time, you know, a Eureka basically becomes like draw two. Mr. Rook becomes like uh actionless draw two per turn you know i mean pick two out of nine but like you're just getting so many cards into your hand that's like incredible like i think that just i I basically want to play a mini deck where i'm just playing like good seeker cards but i'm also playing like every card that says search because i'm just going to get so many cards from doing that it's gonna be great i mean you also can in fact use the ability on other investigators oh sure yeah this is true so like I'm excited to see your combo with like a like a Larry Anderson deck or something that uses like calling in favors to like easily summon two <laughs> agency backups at like yeah. discounted cost oh, yeah. and stuff. The, or something. the calling in favors interaction is very crazy, and there, and there might be other cards like that too, right? Can you explain how that works, Ben? So calling in favors is an event that lets you pick up a ally you have in play. And then search, I think, the top nine cards of your deck for another ally and play it at a cost reduced by the cost of the original ally. So say you had, like, a guard dog, which is cost three. You picked it up and searched your deck and found a beat cop, which is cost four. Then you could play the beat cop at cost one. Incredible. Uh, With Mandy's ability, you could use it to find two allies and play them both at reduced cost. So you could theoretically get, like, two beat cops and play them both at cost one after picking up the guard dog. That's pretty good. So a huge, huge discount. Obviously, you'd have enough need to have enough allies in your deck to actually be able to reliably find two more. So, like Larry Anderson or maybe Tommy, both seem like uh, people that would have a lot of allies. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, like like as you pointed out, there's a couple of people you might have in your team that you can that would have allies that you could really use this for. But also, even for just Mandy, so you should absolutely play Mr. Rook and Mandy. Like, don't even think about it. Mr. Rook is incredible for Mandy. <laughs> yeah. But you also you also might want to play. Is it Research Librarian? What's the what's the ally that uh, tutors a book from your deck or a tome? Uh, library Assistant or something. I think it's Research Librarian. Yeah, Research Librarian. I think is the one that just lets you search your deck for its home. You know, that might be worth playing for Mandy. So you might have like a couple allies that can. You know, and you could even like Mr. Rook find a calling in favors, then play it, get rid of your original Mr. Rook, get out another Mr. Rook, get out of free something else. <laughs> like, there's there, there's a lot of good stuff. Biotic, biotic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is not even getting into like picking her secondary class, which I think opens up yeah. more options for like events and skills she can throw in her deck. I don't know, Dan, do you have a thought on which one you'd, you'd go with just briefly? Uh, I think it I think it doesn't even really matter because i mean because the thing is you can't play assets which kind of kills a lot of the fun possibilities but it's more just like 
Seeker cards are so good, you're probably going to fill out most of your deck with just Seeker cards. I think I would probably pick Rogue because you can just play Lucky and look what I found. You mean Survivor? Uh, yeah, sorry. I think I would I would play Survivor just to play Lucky and look what I found, or maybe Mystic. Like, like Test of Will. Yeah, or maybe I would play Mystic just for like wards and like a single Deny Existence or something if I felt like it. Should have checked this ahead of time. Are there any of these that have search effects from those three categories? I think there's not a whole lot. I mean, yeah, so if you do Survivor, you get access to Test of Will, which is definitely better than level zero ward. So... Yeah, but it also costs XP every time, and I think you already have a lot of other stuff to spend XP on. Yeah, that's true. And you get delves if you go Mystic. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> and you're likely to find them, too, because you're searching so much. So I think that there is, like, no downside to Mandy, even apart from the ability. So let's let's just think about this for a moment. If you even wanted to just play her completely com- complimentary to somebody who wants to search the deck a lot, like, I don't know, like, if Larry wanted to do the Calling in Favors thing, and, you know, he has... um uh what is it always be prepared where you get to look for weapons and pull like two weapons out instead of just one that kind of thing you, she can she can literally just give him her ability like basically every turn and still be an incredible investigator five intelligence is absolutely phenomenal like dan was saying earlier these are like dream stats for a seeker right now yeah oh yeah like she would be she would be great if she like didn't really have a reaction ability and she just had that stat line and secret cards she would be like an above average investigator i think yeah. so you're 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 already like playing with house money and her weakness we haven't talked about her weakness but her weakness is not that scary like it's sort of bad if you were to use it at the end of your turn and you end up drawing like an ancient evils or something that you weren't prepared for but i think you know you can probably just like use your mr rook at the beginning of your turn or something and if you happen to find it fine you got it out of your deck so like because yeah. like, you really you you actually want to find it and get it out of your deck before you draw it. You really don't want to draw it. So, you know, I, I think it's really I think it's really pretty fine. Yeah, I yeah. I think Mandy's really, really good and I'm very excited to, to play a Mandy deck. The other part of her ability we haven't mentioned at all is that you can when you do an effect that searches the encounter deck, you can also trigger it. I don't know I think we so if, if at some point maybe there will be a mystic that has enough things like Scrag or uh uh what the hell else searches uh <laughs> Such as the encounter deck. <laughs> I don't know if Scrying actually oh. says search cards in the encounter deck. What I was thinking is there's a lot of things that says search the encounter deck for a cultist and spawn it at your location. So if you want, you could get out two cultists, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wonder if there'll be some weird interaction with that that lets you combo. Isn't, isn't there like a on the hunt or something she could trigger it with that? Like Zoe could use it. She could trigger on the hunt and draw two enemies to get two money and then stab them both with her dives. That'd be great. That sounds great. <laughs> you guys gave me shit, right? When we were, when we were first talking about it, you were like, oh, you can also use it on other people at your location. And then you mentioned shit like this, which is like, um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're proving, you're proving that that's a bad idea. Uh, all right. We should move on. We're going to wrap up Mandy. S tier. Always play Mandy forever. Yeah. Lots of fun possibilities. Seems like she'll be great. I think Mandy, yeah, she's, she's going to be one of the best investigators in the game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's move on to the next one though. Yeah, so let's move on to Tony Morgan, the bounty hunter. So Tony was spoiled previously uh, in an article with Matt Newman, or not an article, in an interview with Matt Newman. He has two will, three intellect, five combat, two agility. He's a criminal, hey Finn, and a hunter. And he may take an additional action during his turn, which can only be used to engage or fight an enemy with one or more bounties on it. Um, And then his Elder Sign effect is plus two. Place one bounty on bounty contracts. And he's got nine health and five sanity. And he says when he finds that beast, he'll put it down for good. So you might be wondering, if you haven't seen that uh, preview that Matt Newman did, what is a bounty uh, and what are bounty contracts? So we're going to go straight into his unique 
signature card asset. It's called Bounty Contracts. Who would have thought? It is a job. Welcome, Netrunner references. It's a permanent. So it uses six bounties as a triggered effect. After an enemy enters play, move one to three bounties from Bounty Contracts to that enemy to a maximum of that enemy's health. And then after you defeat that enemy with one or more bounties on it, move its bounties into your resource pool as resources. Um, so Tony is going to get some resources from his bounty contracts. So that's one of his signature cards. He also has another one. Uh, and by another one, I mean another two. He has Tony's 38 Long Colt, which is an item, weapon, and a firearm. It has a combat, an intellect, and a wild symbol on it. Tony Morgandek only uses three ammo. Uh, triggered effect, after you play Tony's 38 Long Colt, play another Tony's 38 Long Colt from your hand at no cost. Action, spend one ammo, fight. You get one combat for each bounty on the attacked enemy. This attack deals one plus one damage. This attack defeats an enemy with one or more bounties on it. Place one bounty on bounty contract. So his guns will fuel his bounty contracts. His bounty contracts will fuel his economy. His economy... Yeah, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, so Tony is going to be... I think the first combat-centric rogue in the game. And what I mean by that is he's going to be the first good combat-centric rogue in the game. Oh, you're just calling out Skids here. Like, Skids is, like, listening to our podcast and is, like, a single tier. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's Skids and Jenny. Uh, do, you, do you want to mention, like, uh, why his deck building might also help with that? Of course. Tony, at Deck Creation just similar to Mandy, can choose Guardian, Seeker, or Survivor as a secondary class choice. And then his deck building options are Rogue cards level 0 to 5, Neutral cards level 0 to 5, up to 10 level 1, level 0 or 1, events and or skills of your chosen secondary class. So he can be really versatile, just like Mandy could, in that he can choose at the beginning of deck creation if he wants to be more guardian, more defensive, and more, um, you know, combat-oriented, or if he wants to go seeker, he wants to pick up a little more clues, pick up some more of that, that end of the slack for his friends, which might be better at lower player counts if he wants to kind of more hybridize, and survivor if he wants to do more bullshit-type things with uh, drawing thin. So... If he wants to fail a lot of tests. Oh, no, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess drawing thin is an event. If, you, if he wants to get his ass kicked and get lost... Uh, then. <laughs> yeah so when you, when you say good guardian you just mean because he has a natural five fight he can actually like more easily make use of like some of those fighting rogue weapons right like yeah uh, up in the cloud kingdom where mark resides uh on his sitting on his throne of s tiers uh tony morgan actually kind of breaches that cloud you know uh so he can kind of like oh wow he's 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 got five fight you know like or five combat he's pretty yeah yeah, see, the thing about Mark, though, is that uh, Mark doesn't get his ass completely handed to him by will tests, which is, uh, you know. <laughs> um, no, but but I mean, you're, you're, you're right. Like, having a five and a good stat is, like, really, really good. Like, having five combat is great. I think, um, like, for instance, he can play, like, upgraded Switchblade, and, like, most of the time he's going to get the succeed by two. Just as upgraded Derringer? He, he has a lot of other options, too. The typewriter might actually be good on him. Uh. Yeah, like, there's, like, the um, Thompson, like, the green version of the Thompson or whatever. Like, there's, there's a lot of options. Right. So that's all pretty cool. And, like, I think the bounty thing just seems really fun. Like, yeah. most of the time you should only, you should probably never put more than one bounty on something in most cases because you just want to get the extra action. You don't really you don't really care about getting money from it. Like there's other ways to get money, but you really want to get the extra actions as much as possible. So that just seems like a fun kind of way to play and like make combat a little bit more interesting. So I'm kind of excited about that. 
definitely the low sanity and the low willpower is going to be an issue, especially in like Circle Undone, for instance. <laughs> uh, so yeah, pro- probably don't play this guy in Circle Undone, I would say. But you know, he seems strong, and especially like like you mentioned, Dane. I think he has he's pretty well set up for solo, especially if you pick like Seeker as your off class and play like Seeker skills and events. Or maybe Survivor, but like, look what I found and stuff, because he does have three intellect and uh, he's pretty self-sufficient. So I think he'd definitely make a good solo build as long as, again, as long as you can survive having two will, which in some campaigns is going to be very hard. He feels his own economy, too. Normally, Guardians are kind of poor. Yeah. But I mean, I think here, both Tommy and Tony are going to be pretty good at, at sustaining their own economy most of the time. Tony obviously has access to all of the rogue cards that can help boost his money as well so i like i don't think he's gonna any problems with money he can just play like another day another dollar lone wolf uh hot streak all that stuff oh yeah. yeah 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 he's also i think the 38 long colt is uh is definitely pretty decent you know you're gonna try to you really want to get one of those out because it lets you sort of keep your bounties going forever but it's also just a decent weapon in its own right i think the playing two of them playing the second one for free is a thing that's like going to feel cool the one out of 10 times that you actually get to do it but but don't get focused on it i think if you just play one before you find the other one that's fine because notice it has pretty good icons on it you can just commit the second one and that's like pretty good dan i've already i've already uh constructed a tony deck um that may or may not have sleight of hand to get the free 38 colts out uh what should i do Ooh, i think uh sleight of hand might not actually work on this because there's like a weird difference between uh you playing a card and putting a card into play. I think Slide of Hand puts a card into play. I think that actually doesn't trigger the Colt. Oh, thank God. I don't have to play that card. That's also just a terrible combo to try to play. Like, that's, <laughs> that's like hot garbage, 100%. All right. But, uh, All right. <laughs> You've convinced <laughs> like, me out of it. Uh, that deck is going to go directly into the garbage. Yeah, just click click the delete button on ArkhamDB there. That's good. No, physically throw away all the cards. <laughs> but go buy new ones. So talking about thir- the 38 Long Cold for a second here, I think that it, it's it's a really versatile weapon. Um, mostly Guardians have really, really good uh, firearms, but Tony's 38 is definitely comparable, if not better, than some of the bigger ones because of the fact that if you have like a big enemy coming into, into play, like let's some like some big juicy boss comes into play, you can move three bounties to that thing, and suddenly your your cults are giving you plus three combat to it. That's pretty considerable. To, to already having five, you get eight, and usually those tests are at four or five anyways. You don't really have to commit much to to match up to that big boy. That is good. I think that unless you have an, an excess of bounties from various things, or it's like the very end of the scenario and you're fighting a boss, I think most of the time you're going to want to use them a little bit more sparingly because you really want you don't want to like run out and not be able to put bounties on a new thing that spawns. But yeah, in some situations that'll be pretty good. Yeah, and I mean that's not even mentioning Tony's weakness. Kind of complements the way that he wants to play. His weakness is called Tony's Quarry Enemy. Um, it's a humanoid monster deep one. It has four combat. Three health and one agility spawns at the location farthest from Tony Morgan, which could probably be pretty problematic in some scenarios. It is also aloof and then forced after it enters play, place one doom on it and then place one resource on it from the token pool as a bounty. So it gives itself a bounty, which is kind of nice if you ran out of your bounty contracts. But it does one point of health and two points of sanity as damage. So this thing is going to be kind of really annoying to deal with for Tony, depending on where he is on the map, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think like, I mean, I think Tony's cool, but I think that this and his willpower are like the two kind of problems with him, because this is actually a pretty rough weakness. You're going to sometimes just draw this on upkeep, 
and it's going to spawn far away and you can't do anything about it and it has a doom on it already like silver twilight acolyte is like one of the worst basic weaknesses because it can just completely screw you over and even then if you draw it on upkeep it's after enemy phase so it can't attack and get a doom this just comes out with a doom so this is just going to cost you a turn fairly often i think and that really sucks yeah even if it doesn't come out on upkeep and then immediately cost you a turn if if it's a big map and it spawns on the other end of it and it's aloof and it has three health that's it's going to be tough to kill yeah, if you have to run across the map and engage it. Yeah, I mean, there are also possibilities that it could just, like, not come out at a relevant time. Like, it could be Witching Hour, where, you know, nobody really cares that it spawns anyways. But yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so, I mean, like, just as an example, Azix County Express. Absolutely terrible, right? Like, really, <laughs> really, really bad to draw this on any any time <laughs> on Essex County Express, because all the agendas have, like, three Doom on them, or three Threshold. Yeah. You you basically have, like, a one in three shot of drawing it during Witching Hour, otherwise you're just extremely sad. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. If it had two health, it'd be a lot, <laughs> a lot less terrible. Yeah, I, I, or even if it, if it was, like, farthest revealed location, that would help, too, I think, but... Yeah, it's definitely going to be hard to kill. I think sometimes it won't matter. Sometimes it will. And when it, when it does matter, it's going to be sad times. Yeah. Sad times at the quarry. That would be my summary of this guy. I think he is probably pretty strong in solo, decent in multiplayer, but not like a top tier fighter guy like Mark or even like Zoe, but pretty good. But that weakness is really rough and the willpower is really rough. So it seems fun, though. seems like a cool deck. I agree. I think his gimmick is going to be cool and fun to build around and play with. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so he basically gets to call dibs on killing enemies, right? When he puts a bounty on something? Because he only <laughs> he only gets the benefit if he's the one that kills it. So, like, if he puts something on, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go kill that. Well, and that that's kind of <laughs> tough because, yeah, he doesn't have, like, honestly, not being able to play beat cop really does suck. Uh, should we move on to the, the next one, though? Yeah. Um, go ahead, Dan. Okay, so the next uh, the next investigator is Luke Robinson, who's a mystic. He's the dreamer. Uh, he has four willpower, three intellect, two combat, three agility. He's a dreamer, a drifter, and a, wayf- and a wayfarer. It says, wow, this is so much, this is so many cards to read. You begin the game with gatebox in play. You may play one of any turn as if you were at a connecting location and engage with each enemy at that location. Uh, Elder sign effect plus one, place one charge on gatebox. Uh, his deck building, 30 cards, mystic zero to five, seeker zero to two, neutral zero to five. And then his deck building, he gets the gate box detached from reality in a basic weakness. The gate box is an asset cost three, although it says it he begins with it in play. It is an item and a relic, uh, uses three charges, fast trigger, exhaust gate box and spend one charge, disengage from each enemy, engage with you, search your bonded cards for Dreamgate Wondrous Journey, put it into play and move to it. Dreamgate Wondrous Journey is a location with shroud one and zero clues. It is Dreamlands. It says Bonded Gatebox. It's connected to each other revealed location and vice versa. Enemies, investigators other than Luke Robinson cannot enter Dreamgate. Forced at the end of the investigation phase, set Dreamgate aside out of play. If Luke Robinson is here, move him to any revealed location. So, wow, this is so complicated. Um, (laughs) So basically, as a fast trigger, you can use the Gatebox, which you you have it in play to start the game. You get out this magical forest dream tree land that you get to go to. So, so you put this into play. It's connected to everywhere. You can move there if you want. And then at the end of the investigation phase, you get rid of it again. So And, and you get to move him. So it's kind of like a slow teleport, sort of. Yeah. I think this is like pretty cool in terms of like, oh, yeah, I get to teleport into my own little pocket dimension and pop out wherever I want. Rules-wise, it might be kind of a nightmare. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it is, because notably, like once he's in the in the Dreamgate Wondrous Journey, he can play an event from anywhere because he's connected to every location. Right. Which is cool. 
yeah, there's a lot of rules questions that come up when like you have to figure out if you are if you are at that location or not, uh, what's considered your location, the location you're playing at, or where you actually are, the behavior of enemies or other investigators if they're at your location or not. I don't know. <laughs> the the funnest thing that I that I've seen in discussion come up is that when Dreamgate goes away, you you have to go to a move to a revealed location, but there's definitely at least one scenario where there could be no revealed locations. I th- think for various reasons. <laughs> so you're just stuck in Dreamland forever? Well, no, I, I don't know. There's like, like if if you're playing, is this the plot of Hook? If you're playing a uh, trains train train adventure, Escalante Express, and you draw his weakness, I think there's like a combination in the where there can be no revealed locations. Uh, well, so let's <laughs> so let's read his weakness, which we haven't done yet. So his weakness is a treachery called detached from reality. It's a madness revelation. If Dreamgate Wonder's Journey is already in play, flip it over. Otherwise, search your bonded cards for Dreamgate Pointless Reality. Put it into play. In either case, disengage from each enemy, engage with you, and move to Dreamgate. So I guess the Dreamgate is like a two-sided card. There's the good side of it, which is Wonder's Journey, which is what you get out with the gate box. And then there's the bad side of a Pointless Reality, which you're kind of forcibly shoved into if you draw his weakness. And Dreamgate Pointless Reality is a location, Dreamlands, uh, six shrouds, zero clues, bonded, detached from reality. Enemies and investigators other than Luke Robinson cannot enter Dreamgate. After you successfully investigate Dreamgate, flip it, and then force at the end of the investigation phase, set Dreamgate aside out of play. If Luke Robinson is here, move him to any revealed location, and he takes two horror. And this is not connected to anywhere. So, yeah, I guess the thing is, Ben, that... um. The dream gates go away at the end of the investigation phase, so you would have to like get moved there, and then during investigation phase, the location would have to disappear, right? Yeah, I guess the one case it definitely could happen is if you draw detached from reality. Maybe that would actually save you from getting eaten by the train. But <laughs> if there wasn't any revealed location in the train, it means that you would have died uh, during mythos phase if you were still there, right? So I guess it would technically save you in that case. I don't know. You could draw like ancient evils or something, and it could advance advance faster than expected or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think it definitely, you, you can enter a case where there's no revealed locations and you don't know what happens to Luke. I don't know what happens then. Interesting. I assume he gets lost in time and space forever and trapped in the dream world. That's literally the plot of like the last third of Inception, which is a great <laughs> movie. So I'm, I'm, I'm all in. The dream gate is, it's kind of cool in, in a thematic sort of way, because like wondrous journey is kind of like the reason why it's so easy to get into. It's because of like where his headspace is at, like, right? Like he thinks it's, the dreamlands is like a wonderful adventure and then like when he when he draws detached from reality he like as a person becomes detached from reality so he thinks that reality is so pointless that he just doesn't want to leave so he like goes into the dream gate and suddenly you're like reality is pointless so he's just stuck there until you can get over yourself yeah get over yourself luke i like all that the theme of all of that is pretty cool again it's exactly like inception but also like what happens in depths of yoth or the floating through space on on faceless well, Depths of Yoth, Depths, both of those, I mean, spoilers, have a th- card that says, like, all investigators not at this location get killed. So he would get killed in that case. Okay, okay, okay. Blah, 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 blah. So stepping back a little bit just to talk about Luke kind of as, as an investigator, I think his his stats are, like, fine, nothing really special, but okay. You know, he has four will, which is okay. Um, and I think, yeah, it's kind of rough when you have, like, a mystic that has, like, four will and three intellect, because you're probably going to investigate using your will. Like, you don't really need the intellect very much. So that's kind of, like, wasted stats a little bit. Well, he has access to secret cards. In fact, his deck building is just a more flexible version of like Norman's death deck building, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. 
Norman has what? Seeker zero, five level zero mystic cards, and then mystic one through five. So this is just a broader, broader version of that. <laughs> as, as we were discussing earlier, seeker cards are great. They definitely do help you get clues in a lot of cases. And especially, so if he wants to play events that work in adjacent locations, then things like um, working a hunch or things like that are pretty cool. Um, even things like uh, if, if you can reliably have clues, even things like I've got a plan if his intellect was high enough or because events that fight like, um, you know, storm of spirits or blinding light and things like that would seem kind of good in him. I think the biggest weakness for Luke maybe is that they're just, those events aren't that great. Like there aren't a lot of just great, like fight, do a bunch of damage to an enemy events, right? Like, like storm of spirits is fine, but it's not like amazing. Right. And they're usually, those cards are usually pretty expensive. They might be hard for him to afford. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I mean, like the one, the upside though, is that he gets to play things like Pathfinder and Shortcut where he gets to quickly navigate through the map where sometimes there's, there are huge maps like Egypt or like, uh, you know, sometimes the Forgotten Age, they can kind of get ridiculous and like he can navigate those pretty easily. And he might have some synergy in some cards in the set, the upcoming set too, or this set. But I think that Seeker cards, I think, are more of a boon than they are, you know, uh, they, than they detract from him. I think he's just going to be a very mobile mystic because of, as you mentioned, his access to both his teleport ability as well as the seeker cards that let him move around. Yeah, and the mystic teleport card, for all it's worth. Yeah, astral yeah. travel. There's also a. We'll talk about it next time, but there's one of this pack that helps mystics teleport around as well. Ooh. But... Ooh. So that, that'll be cool, because Mystics are usually kind of like one of the slower-moving classes, because they usually don't have too much to bounce around. Yeah. I think he's kind of fine. He seems interesting and very weird, which is cool. I don't think he's like as strong as like Agnes or Akachi or something like that, but uh, definitely interesting to, you know, c- kind of a cool deck idea to try. Yeah, I think he'll try to like come up with different events he can play to help him get clues or fight stuff. I didn't look through everything ahead of this. But maybe there's some cool stuff that usually you don't like that are more interesting with him. If they make more like good events that you want to play from you know from other locations, it could be cool. Um, the bonded book that gives you the three blood ritual spells or whatever that was in at the end of um, Circle Undone. I forget what it was called, but do you guys know the card I'm talking about? Isn't it seek- the Seeker one? Yeah, because he can because he can play that. Oh, the Bloody Town. Yeah, the Bloody Book. Oh. No, I actually banished that from my mind because it was so terrifying. But <laughs> I think that that's pretty good for him because that's a way for him to do two damage if he you know pays two, draws two, discards two. That's pretty decent. Yeah, it could be cool. Let's move on to the last investigator in the pack, though. Let's do it. Last but not least. Last but not least is Patrice Hathaway, the violinist. Uh, she is a the survivor of the pack. Her stats are four, two, two, two. That's right. Four willpower, two and everything else. Interesting. Not off to a great start. Which means she's basically twice as good, at least twice as good at everything as Preston. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a performer. Oh, and she's cursed. Ooh. Her ability is your maximum hand size is reduced by three. <laughs> interesting. All right. During each upkeep phase, instead of drawing one card, discard all non-weakness cards in your hand and draw until you have five cards in hand. Uh, so she kind of resets her hand, basically, each upkeep. And her Elder Sign is plus one. Uh, after this test ends, you may shuffle all but one card from your discard pile into your deck. That's interesting. Uh, and her deck building is deck size 42. Deck building <laughs> options are Survivor 0 to 5. 0 to 5, really? All right. Mystic Cards 0 to 2 and uh, Neutral 0 to 5. Uh, and then she has her uh, requirements. Is she has her signature card 
Patrice's violin and her weakness, Watcher from Another Dimension, which uh, we can talk about those in a minute. But uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention her health and sanity are both seven. So she's definitely uh, very different. Uh, I think uh, I, know, I was kind of reading her in like a melancholy, uh, doom and gloom type of tone, but I think she could be kind of pretty cool to play. She's very different. She's sort of the like weird puzzle challenge investigator of this box, sort of like we've seen from like Preston and Calvin and Lola, but she seems possibly a lot better than those. Yes. Uh, or, or at the very least, I, I am not completely disinterested in playing her, which is probably a pretty shocking sign. <laughs> so, and, and of course the reason is, hey, drawing five cards per turn uh, seems relatively good, right? So like you have to, there's some hoops you have to jump through to play around yeah. the downsides, but I mean, drawing five cards a turn is very strong. This is true. I mean, her main downside is you can't, like, hold on to a card between turns, basically. Like, you want to have cards in your deck that you can, like, basically always use up on the turn you get, either by, like, committing them, or they're, like, a cheap thing, like, they're a cheap asset or cheap event that's, like, universally good. So, like, for instance, just about any Survivor deck, you're going to play Lucky, because it's an incredible card. Like, you're never going to cut Lucky from a Survivor deck. I think you actually don't really need to play it in patrice like you could and it'd be fine but it's not really any better yeah. than it's not really much better than just a standard skill card or something you can commit because usually with lucky you hold it in hand and you like do a bunch of tests where you might need it if you draw a bad token but you can't hold anything in hand for more than a turn with patrice until they release a hardware card called bookmark that you can put uh the cards on. there's like backpack no it's not um so <laughs> so I, so i think with patrice like the, the name of the game is going to be you want to play a lot of like cheap assets that you can get down that are going to be helpful you want to play things that take advantage of her will like spells like six cents and then you just want to play like every card in your deck should be able to be committed and you're just going to commit most of your cards because if you don't commit them if you don't use them up in a turn they're going to be gone anyway so you might as well just commit them yeah it's kind of cool to think about um that she doesn't care about some weaknesses. Some weaknesses that would be really brutal for some investigators are actually not that bad for her. Oh, yeah. Like, Amnesia is actually fantastic if you can get Amnesia in, in Patrice, right? It's like, great. I don't care. Or, like, drawing the sign, right? Her her max hand size is reduced by six, but, like, who cares? <laughs> uh, no, that would be terrible, uh, I think. Oh, yeah, because then at the end yeah, of... That, yeah, that would be terrible. Drawing the sign reduces your max of hand size to three, and then this would reduce it by three, so she had a hand size of zero. So then at the end of upkeep, she'd have to trash her whole head. Yeah, that actually, that actually is quite bad. <laughs> she just That just means she has to get rid of but it. But Dana's a good point, though, that other things like weaknesses that like sit in your hand or whatever, that could be fine because you have to discard them. Uh, well, no, because her ability says non-weaknesses gets discarded. Uh, yeah, so okay. stuff that sits in her hand, she still has to hold on to. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Such as, uh, such as her as a personal weakness. Let me go over her two special cards quick. So uh, Patricia's Violin, uh, my muse, is an uh, asset. Uh, cost two has a willpower agility and wild icon on it it's an item and an instrument and it takes up a hand slot its ability is a free trigger choose and discard one card from your hand and exhaust patricia's violin choose and investigate at your location to either gain one resource or draw one card and then her weakness is watcher from another dimension five combat five agility and has two health uh, it is a monster and extra dimensional. It is a peril hidden and hunter. Revelation, secretly add this enemy to your hand, which is, of course, the definition of hidden. The ability is, you may fight or evade this enemy while it is in your hand, as if it were at your location. If you succeed, discard it from your hand. If you fail, spawn it engaged with you. 
And forced, when your deck runs out of cards, if this enemy is in your hand, it attacks you from your hand. Oh, no. And it does three damage. That's a lot of damage. It is a lot. Theme-wise, this card's amazing. I love the art that the art has no, like, recognizable creature in it. It's just, like, space, which makes it very scary. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I think her part of her backstory is, like, something, there's something in space that she's aware of, but only she's aware of it, and nobody, like, she can't, like, prove it exists. And this is what it is, right? It's a thing that's watching her, and she can't ask for help on it. And the only way she could, like, spawn it is by, like, physically interacting with it. And then all of a sudden it appears, and she's like, see? I told you it was real! <laughs> that's, that's definitely pretty cool. Yeah. That's so cool and absolutely terrifying. And I think it her weakness shouldn't be incredibly hard to get rid of, because the fact that her stats by are normally pretty bad, you want to have, like, your shriveling or mists of Ryla or something out, but... If you have that, then just commit a bunch of stuff, and you should be able to hit it once and get rid of it. I think she commits something that might be like in a like a one off event because she's gonna she can just hold this in her hand until she goes through her deck and gets whatever card she needs to deal with it. Exactly, it'll slow down her draw, but that's not too bad. Uh, worst case scenario, she can like purposely fail an agility test, trigger all of the survivor fail cards that she might have, and then call <laughs> for somebody to come help her uh, kill it or something. <laughs> if she, if it's multiplayer, see exactly. <laughs> The other thing we didn't mention with Patrice is um, she might seem like a good place to play kind of like recursion cards because you're going to be putting a lot of your deck into the discard pile. So that might be okay. Like I know, um, I forget if it was somebody, I think it might have been Dane mentioned wanting to play like scavenging with her, which you you could try it. I don't know. But um, you don't want to play cards that are going to get stuff out of the discard pile back in your hand because then you you just have to either immediately play them or they're going to disappear again. But if you have stuff that can like play stuff from your discard pile onto the field or you know, play events at your discard pile or something like, yeah. like, like winging it would be pretty good with her or the other improvised cards. So, yeah, I mean, I'm most interested in um, Patrice using Yowdle. Oh, yeah. With desperate skills. I mean, we've seen it before in, in other survivors that had the ability to discard selected like selectively. Patrice can't really control it. Uh, which might be an issue for that. But if you have, I mean, I think this is the instance where you just put every desperate, relevant desperate card in your deck. And then even if you can't play it because you're at a, you know, a high sanity threshold, you could just dump it into your bin. And from what I understand, when you discard multiple cards, you can choose the order of them. So you can put the desperate skill card that you want on top and then use that for Yautel later. The other kind of small synergy is that she can play a key of St. Hubert or St. Hubert's key. So that that's kind of nice if she wants to get down to that dip down to that threshold eventually. But uh, yeah, and she can also take um, arcane research to <laughs> dip her even further into <laughs> into madness. I think the downside to all of this is, um, yeah, you could put a, a desperate card on top of your discard pile, but then at the end of your next turn, it's something else is going to be on top, right? So yeah, but hopefully another desperate card. <laughs> it's also uh, yeah, it's worth mentioning. So she can play ward level two, the best card in the game, but. Uh, it's less good for her than it normally would be because she's going to draw it at the end of her upkeep and then she's going to have one mythos phase to play it. And then if she doesn't play it, she's going to have to discard it. Or right. So yeah. it's still probably worth having in your deck if you're her, but uh, it's not going to be quite as good as in people that can actually just hold it in their hand. She like almost inverts that rule, right? Like almost inverts the rule of reactive being like very powerful in that way. Because like things like Lucky, things like Ward are not quite as good on her. It's also kind of too bad that, um, so she can play like upgraded Rite of Seeking, which is level two, but she can't play upgraded Shriveling or upgraded uh, Sixth Sense, which is kind of too bad because four willpower is great, but she's definitely going to want to boost that either with Holy Rosary, St. Hubert's Key, the Purple Tarot card, 
David Renfield, uh, you know, other cards like that, um, <laughs> you know, like, cause I think you are, I think you're going to want to lean very hard into will with her. Like I trying the desperate stuff like Dana was mentioning could be cool. Maybe that's worth it. But if I was going to make a Patrice deck, I think I would just go like straight up will player kind of like a mystic and tra- just really try to take advantage of drawing five cards a turn and committing most of them. I mean, uh, another path with her is you could like immediately upgrade into cornered. Oh yeah. And just use that constantly to discard cards and give her plus two to skills every turn. Cause she'll just constantly refill her hand. You can even combo that with, uh, Yaddle or Desperate or whatever to get like plus four or something. I think the way I would go instead of playing cornered is just every card in your deck should have like two good symbols on it. <laughs> like, and then, and then you don't need cornered, right? Like cornered is great if it's like this card that has bad icons or no icons, like a cash that I don't need. I can basically turn into a courage. That's pretty cool. But I think with Patrice, you, you probably your deck is going to be full of cards that you want to commit anyway. But it could be worth it, though. I, we didn't really talk about our Elder Sign. I think our Elder Sign ability is, like, very powerful, right? Yeah. If she gets it while she has a weakness in her uh, discard pile, she gets to free shuffle it all back, everything in her deck except for that weakness, basically. Uh, or if she gets it early on, maybe she keeps, like, a winging it in there and shuffles everything else back in and pads her out a bit. Survivors tend to have like stronger elder signs, so it's definitely cool to uh not have to take a guaranteed horror every eight turns, which you would otherwise have to do. And uh yeah, leaving a weakness in there and shuffling everything else back is pretty good, so not not bad. I mean she can play Quantum Flux if she really wants to. She's got deny existence if she's really worried about horror, that kind of stuff. I think like all of the investigators in this pack or in this uh box though have really strong elder sign effects, and we didn't really even talk at length about the rest of them, but they're all pretty strong. As opposed to some like like Mark or Roland, who's aren't very impactful whatsoever, these ones are pretty considerable. Yeah, but Mark's Elder Sign basically says like plus yada 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 doesn't matter. Also, you get to be Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the best Elder Sign ability in the game. That's a fair point. Yeah, no, I Patrice seems cool. Like I said, I mean, I'm normally not interested in the kind of like bizarro world, uh, crazy, <laughs> crazy, ridiculous investigators, but I, I do kind of want to give Patrice a try. She seems cool. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is that she has added to the ever-expanding roster of musical Arkham uh, investigators. So to that end, we've got Jim, Patrice, Lola, no, not Lola, Marie, there we go. And to a greater extent, Ashcan Pete. So if anybody wants to build a musical fun time brigade uh that's those are your investigators you also forgot to mention that she can play the active desperation combo that you love so much and throw her violin at something <laughs> if she really needs to or bash bash a monster over the head with her violin so it is a hand item asset you're right see they, yeah there you go i've never felt worse for for omitting something <laughs> from this podcast <laughs> my only i think my only huge complaint about patrice though is that like Either they printed something wrong, or she's, like, the most talented violinist in the entire world, because normally violinists play their violin with two hands, <laughs> as depicted on this card, but somehow... Well, but again, if you're hitting someone with it, then uh, you don't need to hold it with two hands, you just need to hold it with one hand. Both of her hands are are there, right? He He's talking about the fact that it only takes up a hand slot, right? Oh, so. okay. <laughs> which, which is really, normally, you know, taking up a hand slot is kind of bad, but for, in this case, like... She could play the spirit of fame, which is kind of good, and or like a newspaper or something, but that's about it. Like, there's not a lot of other hand ritual candles. Yeah, there's not a lot of other stuff competing with it. So it's I mean, fine. You and flashlight. Yeah. You know. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't know. No, no, I, I'm not familiar with that card. <laughs> Some cool investigators with interesting deck building uh, in this pack for sure. Yeah. I'm honestly kind of excited to try like any of these, which usually is not the case. So I'm, that's definitely cool. Except for Luke. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> even Luke, I, you know, even Luke is like at least kind of weird and cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited to play 
mostly Tony, I think, but I, I mean, even Patrice in this in this weird, bizarre world that she exists in, I definitely want to try her at some point. Yeah. But speaking of excite, exciting things, we have another exciting announcement before we wrap up the show. We're going to be at Arkham Nights this year. Gasp. <laughs> so if you want to come say hi, we'll be wearing our uh, Miss Johnny University Radio shirts. And we'll be playing Arkham cards all weekend, so if you want to, come pay us a visit and we'll say hi back. Probably. I will also be drinking lots of Surly Furious, so, uh, you know, come come hang out. <laughs> but also, if anybody is listening and has Netrunner cards, nope. bring them and we will stop yeah. everything to play them. You guys swear you wouldn't mention this. If anybody listening to this loves Netrunner, bring Netrunner decks. Me and Dane will play Netrunner with you. It'll <laughs> what? be great. No, but we'll be playing Arkham. Netrunner That's forever. <laughs> ben has promised that if, if anyone donates $1,000 to the Humane Society, what? he will play Netrunner against them as like a charitable uh, I mean, thing. I guess so, I would. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know. but only if it were earmarked specifically for the protection of guinea pigs oh definitely <laughs> i don't know if guinea pigs need protection <laughs> definitely definitely bring your netrunner cards no no don't distra- don't tempt dan and distract him we have to play through like an entire campaign and like fight a blob and like maybe three other scenarios if they show available i don't know there's no time for netrunner there's a lot of arkham related stuff on the agenda already so we're we're very excited about that listeners are you all as excited to get your hands on these investigators as we are? Pro- probably not. Wow, that's but comment <laughs> wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at comments at mur.fm. That's right. We have a brand new and shorter email address. The magic of the internet. You thought there was only one exciting announcement at the end of this cast, but we also have the AOL keyword MUR. Uh, if anyone <laughs> navigating the World Wide Web uh, using that technology, uh, go for it. <laughs> Remember, if you have any questions that you want answered, we are collecting your questions for an upcoming mailback episode. But until next time, guys, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.